Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Soccer Speakeasy. It's the first one we've had in in some time for uh, various reasons, mostly because Kyle is busy shooting downtown. Jacob's been down there too. Yeah, yep. Jacob's been working down there. There's uh, other parts of our new schedules at the dispatch that make it difficult to weave in. Not here to whine, we're here to get it going. Today is uh, Thursday, the 11th of June, 2020. The MLS, just like the NBA and the NHL, has been paused since March 12th, which was a couple days after Rudy Gobert became um, pro sports patient zero uh, in the United States. That feels um, like long ago. In any case, it's been, uh, it's been nearly 13 weeks since, and it was not until yesterday that the league officially announced um, what it's going to look like in tournament form when it resumes – Jacob, take it from there. What did the commissioner say on his conference call? And really, it was nothing new. Um, you had stuff. Uh, I had stuff um, weeks previous uh, speculating what the tournament in Orlando was going to look like. What is it going to look like? Yeah, so the, the skinny on it is teams can begin reporting June 24th. Uh, the crew, Tim Bezbachenko, talked to reporters yesterday said that the crew is close to getting approved for full team training, uh, which I assume they would be. It could be the end of this week or early next week. And then they would stay in market until they're required to go to Orlando, which is seven days before their first game. Games will begin July 8th. By the time you listen to this, you will, we're recording about 1.45 today. You will learn who the crew will play in that group stage, likely, unless they're in the group of six uh, in the East. But they could be drawn into one of two groups of four or a group of six, the top seed in the three groups being Atlanta, Toronto, and Orlando, only Eastern Conference opponents. So games begin July 8th. Uh, the crew could play any time after that. And then that's followed by a knockout stage from July 25th through the 28th. Quarterfinals after that. Games in the group stage count toward the regular season standings. And Commissioner Don Garber said, and he said this you know, a while, and I think both of us reported it, Mike, that MLS wants to get back in home markets. He also said there's a possibility for fans to go in those games, and we'll talk a little bit about that, and I asked Tim Bezpachenko about that. But the winner of this tournament gets $1.1 million in prize money and a Champions League bid. All right, uh, Jacob, just to be clear on a couple things, because you went a little max headroom there. <laughs> the group play, three games apiece, runs from uh, July 8th, up until the knockout stage, which is July 25th, not right up to it. But what did the quarterfinals look like? Semis, August 5th and 6th, finals, August 11th. So the quarters are uh, after the 28th and before August 5th, I presume. You were right in there when you kind of broke up. Yeah, July 30th and August 5th are the quarterfinals. Okay. 
And what have the players been doing to this point, Jacob? Yeah, they were approved probably three weeks ago now. I can't remember the exact date for individual workouts. And uh, Caleb Porter spoke to reporters after that and said it's really nothing different than what they've been doing. Um, Bezbachenko said yesterday that he was actually pretty impressed with how much they were able to do in individual workouts. Um, But since then, they've been improved for small group. And Bez said roughly they can do about 75% of game movements um, and get up to full team training here soon. But let's say they're approved tomorrow being Friday, early next week. Um, Bezbachenko about four weeks of full team training before they get started with games and hopefully an exhibition in there, which is about the span that the CCL teams have before they get going. So I think given the time frame, that's about as good as you could kind of hope for. I should jump in here and finish the intro and say that I'm Mike A-Race. That's <laughs> Jacob Myers you were just hearing from. And Kyle Robertson also joins us, the striker. Um, Kyle, what's it, what's it going to be like coming off just a bit of training in small groups and then jumping into a two-week training camp and then right into a tournament? Well, I think uh, for the MLS fans, it's going to well, be much like, older, what? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's going to, it's going to be like a, uh, you know, mini kind of a world cup for, for all the fans to watch. I mean, uh, everyone's going to be in the same boat um, as in for training. And uh, you know, I think the players who kind of, uh, you know, kept in shape and kind of worked on their skills on their own. I think you'll be able to see who kind of uh, um, over the time kind of uh, kept in shape and kind of kept things going. And the maybe the ones who didn't, you know, might have a rough start. And, uh, you know, it's only three games. So, I mean, you're going to have to get it, get it going, um, you know, early and try to get one of the one or two seeds. And I think there are two or three, three seeds that they're that are uh, advancing also. I, I can't remember exactly. Uh, I'll look that up as you guys are kind of talking. I'm thinking about injuries, uh, Kyle, and I know they've expanded the rosters just for that very fair from, what, 18 to 23? Is that right? They're going to need that and more. I mean, they might need, like, Elvis Merzlikens in there, too, or whatever. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I think you've you've seen that, uh, you know, I believe uh, some of the – is it the German leagues? They're they're using more subs, too, so you'll be able to, you know, kind of – Yeah, five five subs subs in this tournament. You know, and so you'll be able to, you know, I think limit some of the players maybe at first and just kind of get everyone kind of going. But, you know, it's going to come back to the teams that were kind of clicking before, you know, all this kind of, uh, you know, all this kind of started. So, but we'll see where everybody's at. You know, it's been three months. So, Jacob, let me ask you, um, you said that uh, they could be cleared to play as a, as a full unit pretty soon. Your Columbus crew. What would it take? to be cleared yeah. for uh, a full full practice with the full team. Yeah, just before I answer that, one follow-up to what Kyle was saying. Uh, the group winners, group runner-ups, and the best four third-place clubs advance to knockout stage. So it's still a round of 16. Um, to answer your question, Mike, I'm not entirely sure of what the protocol kind of is. It, there hasn't really been anything really defined by the league it just has to be approved by local and state officials and that could mean anything um but you know as we've seen in other states that have their virus numbers kind of creeping up ohio has been very steady and the crew's been pretty quick in getting a turnaround on having their plans approved Uh, so i don't think there's any real barrier it just kind of has to do with you know 
what's your testing structure? How are you limiting the space and interaction with players? Um, it's, it's very kind of ill-defined, but I mean, for the small group, like there were different zones that the league said clubs had to kind of draw on their fields and only one person could be in these zones at a certain time because of social distancing. So I think full team training would just be, you know, you have to make sure these people are negative, don't have the virus. Right. So you pass it along. Yeah. Testing is obviously integral. And um, I would encourage anyone to look up the story that you had in uh, this morning's paper about the official announcement. Uh, there's a lot of detail in there about how they're testing, how often they're testing, what the result of a positive test would be, what the bubble is going to look like in Orlando. I would also encourage people to go to dispatch.com to also maybe look at, uh, we ran a piece on um, the Walt Disney World ESPN wide world of sports complex. Man, that's a, a lot of names for, for one thing, but it is 25,000 acres, so it can take a large sign. Um, and uh, that was interesting, too. Uh, there's, uh, what, 17 soccer fields or something like that? And there's also all the latest ESPN high-speed fiber optic technology ready to, quote-unquote, plug in there. So the NBA is also going to be at that complex at some point. And who do you like in this tournament, Jacob? I mean, I think it's going to be the teams that, frankly, have the their most fit. And, and I always wonder, I think about this with hockey when they come back, too. Mike, what do you feel wins out? Like a team like, I'm thinking hockey, for example, a team like the Jackets that need to kind of bond on the defensive end or other teams like, you know, a Capitals that has a lot of um, firepower. So an LAFD in this instance, what do you feel wins out in a shorter time frame? I think it's case by case. For instance, uh, uh, the, the Jackets uh, know their structure um, because, uh, as Kyle will tell you, they They've been they've had it coached into them um, mm-hmm. uh, with with uh, with boots and syringes and uh, cuffs about the ears. Um, and they've also suffered so many injuries that uh, they have a good idea of their depth chart and what they can count on. So they know their system. Yeah. They know their roles. Uh, it should be an advantage for them. Is it necessarily, say, a disadvantage for their first round opponent, the Toronto Maple Leafs, who yeah. are more run and gun? maybe arguably don't have the goaltending the Jackets do and certainly don't have the defense, the depth on the defense that the Jackets do. But, man, they can score, uh, and the Jackets really can't. They struggle to score. Is that necessarily uh, an advantage or disadvantage for Toronto? I think that's a wait and see. Um, I'm curious as to uh, how many guys the crew has in in these uh, uh, small gatherings and obets right now. Who's around? Who still needs to show up? Are they worried about anyone? It doesn't sound like they're really worried about anyone. Um, Bez said he is pretty confident players participate. One interesting thing, and I think smart of the league to do, is because there isn't a lot of runtime to get players fit up to these games, teams are being allowed 23 players instead of 18 on a game day roster, and they have up to five subs. That, that can only occur at three times so you don't have five separate stoppages for subs but that can kind of allow you know let's think of a lucas Celerayon, for example who is absolutely going to be the guy that pulls the strings he's probably like anybody not going to be 90 per 90 minutes match fit so you'll need to take him out at a certain point or you know what same with pedro or any of those guys um, but you know we saw in the first two games if we can take anything away from that 
I thought they were pretty well ahead of maybe some other teams and they did have a lot of new yeah. pieces, but they seem to understand the system well. So if, if you can do that in the four weeks running up to games with full team training, the crew's pretty deep too. I'd say they're one of the deeper teams in the league, having that many subs and, and allowing um, the talent deep on your bench to get in game time that, that could probably give you a leg up that in some other teams. Do we also know if uh, once they get to Orlando, will they be allowed to practice against other clubs, or is it only just inner squad practice up until the up until the three games? Do we know that yet? Bez was asked this yesterday, and seemed to sound like they they absolutely wanted to get at least a game in before they played, and he wasn't sure if they could do that here by staying in market, assuming they're approved for full team, or they'll be able to do that down in Orlando. If there, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be as long as the two kind of clubs agree to do it. Uh, so I would see that as an avenue to get 90 minutes fit. Right. There's enough fields down there. Jacobs, these are 45-member traveling parties, which includes players and whatever other staff they're going to bring. Do you know what the construction of, say, the cruise traveling party is going to look like? In other words, how many players among those 45? I know exactly what it'll I mean, uh I think they have, what, 28 players on their roster, I believe. Uh, I would assume it's just about all of those, minus Kempen and maybe Matt Lampson as well. Maybe they only take two goalkeepers. Maybe they take three, but John Kempen is out on loan. So really I'd expect maybe just one or two not to be there because the USL has also been approved to come back to play soon. I can't remember the exact date, but it's around the same time. Uh, So I would assume it's a pretty big party. Maybe the full preseason minus one or two people. All right. Kyle, who do you like in the tournament? (laughs) No, yeah, I mean. I asked Jacob, and he he hedged. Yeah. Uh, I mean. Why don't you just say Atlanta? <laughs> uh, I'm going with LAFC. I think they got, you know, uh, like Jacob said earlier, the firepower to kind of uh, get things going. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do I do think that, uh, you know, in a tournament style where you have some games before the actual knockout phase that some of the high power teams will kind of get going and you'll see, um, you know, I think you'll see a lot of goals uh, in the early rounds. So I'm going with, I'm going with LAFC, so. Jacob, you were able to confirm last week or, or even had the scoop on, uh, I'm not sure which, about what the remainder of the season could look like. And you wrote uh, something based on sourcing um, and somewhat speculative. But what will the rest of the season look like after August 11th? Yeah, unknown right now. But what I did report is that it's been known. And I got this from a source who is um, well knowledgeable about what the league is thinking. You didn't get it from, from somebody who, who doesn't know anything that you just found along the side of the road? Yeah, I didn't get it from the Reddit page or anything like that. Right. But it, or, or big soccer. But it sounds like they're what they're looking at is an 18-game regular season, nine home, nine away, and it would only stay in conference. So crew would only play East conference teams, and that would bring you to the playoffs and so forth. All right. The there is some labor issues going on, not like Major League Baseball, mm. uh, which uh, which is not shooting itself in the foot so much as uh, hurling itself off a cliff at this point. The way those negotiations are going, um, but uh, there there is 
some friction on some issues, Jacob, uh, between ownership and the Players Association. Um, can you take us through that a little bit and tell us where that's going from here? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think you can just look at what's been widely reported since the Players Union and MLS ratified the CBA. Look at Ethan Finley, Brad Guzan, and Alejandro Bedoya, who are very involved in the Players Union. They've said, you know, they kind of came away scarred, their relationship. I think we all talked about at the time in early February when they agreed to this initial CBA. They didn't ratify it at the time. It turned out pretty well. It wasn't as contentious as we thought. Now, I was shocked. We were shocked. Remember when it came down? I do, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it kind of caught everyone by surprise. I don't know if anyone really had the scoop because it came out quickly. Um, but the, the real issues here had to do with what's called a force majeure clause, which essentially allows either party to walk away if some unforeseeable event occurs, such as a pandemic. That's hilarious to me that there was – I mean, that's like boilerplate stuff, and the league didn't have it in there. And now they're trying to scratch money out, money back, and it's yeah. more, more difficult for them because, like, they, who's wiring at that place? <laughs> yeah, so the issue there was the league wanted to tie it to attendance, which I've seen some – the number reported was, like, 25% of attendance if there was a drop-off from last year, which I saw some people say, well, all teams have to do is actually accurately report the attendance figures and they would go down 25% from the previous year, which is probably accurate. (laughs) So what ended up happening is the attendance part of that clause was dropped and just a regular clause was put in there that a pandemic, nothing like this happened. They could both back out and renegotiate. The other part of it, was the portion of the new media rights deal. Their current media rights is in expiring in 2022, and the players want a chunk of that going toward investment in the player pool and just to go buy players, make this league better. So the league wanted just 10% of that number 2023 going to players where it was initially agreed at 25%. The players came back with 17.5%, and then the league threatened to lock out the players. Eventually, they came to an agreement of 12.5% for 2023. They also expanded the CBA to 2025. I won't get into more details because you can look that up on our uh, on dispatch.com. But really, I mean, I was just kind of floored that you have this deal in February. I totally agree. It was smart to renegotiate it during the pandemic, and I get they have to make concessions. But for it to take such a strongman approach, it just didn't seem like it would really benefit them. They're still ahead of MLB, NBA, NHL, but, you know, it way scarred their relationship with the players. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, the Just to add some some detail to what you're saying about uh, about the percentage of, of, uh, of TV revenue. Um, it does kick back to 25%, I believe, after after uh, this year and next, I think. So it, it does check back to 25%. But, yeah, your point is very well taken about uh, uh, heavy-handedness uh, with the labor negotiations. That would, given where this league is in the strata of American professional sports, the stupidest thing to do would be to start a labor war. And when I heard that he had threatened a lockout, I was just flump- I was flabbergasted. I don't care if it's a bluff or not. Um, that is nothing MLS should be considering right now. The players have have, uh, 
have worked with this league very well. Um, and there's to to uh, to strain that relationship at this point uh, under these circumstances is ridiculous. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, you've also uh, done some work, Jacob, uh, with the players regarding uh, what's going on culturally. Um, You've been covering the uh, protests downtown uh, as well as as, uh, trying to keep up with your crew stuff. Um, and uh, this is this is a uh, uh, a movement that's touching all of us, uh, mm-hmm. including crew players. And you've talked to some of them about it. Yeah, I have, and I'm hoping to talk to some more as well. Uh, so far, I know that Derek Etienne Jr. and Jordan Hamilton uh, were down there at the protest, as well as Abubakar Keda. Um, there were some photos on social media that circulated of. Darlington Nagby and uh, Caleb Porter and his family as well were at some of the protests. So, um, but yeah, I, I spoke to Derek Etienne because he posted on Twitter kind of a brief rundown of a couple instances he had with law enforcement on June 1st. Um, he said that on his way back from a workout with Jordan Hamilton in the car, uh, he was pulled over. And as he exited the highway, uh, a cop said he made an illegal turn. Etienne said he kind of kept quiet and only spoke, you know, to comply with the officer's demands. Then the officer allegedly became suspicious that Etienne was being quiet, asked him if he had any warrants because this is according to Etienne. The officer said, quote, you look like you have warrants. And after going back to his car, uh, officer allowed Etienne to go. And once he got closer to his apartment near downtown there was a barricade kind of blocking the street because the protest was nearby and at the end said he as he approached um, this officer at the barricade the officer moved his hand toward the semi-automatic rifle across his chest Uh, then the officer asked kind of where he lived he said he lived nearby but the officer didn't believe him because he has new jersey license plates we should mention etienne played four seasons for the red bulls and he's from new jersey um, then, according to Etienne, that same officer uh, said he had to make sure that Etienne didn't have it. So obviously, he was pretty frustrated and took to social media to talk about this. Uh, so that's kind of the story there. And I, I spoke to Etienne more about kind of his life as a black man in America and how he came to understand race relations. And, you know, first off, we should acknowledge we're three white guys talking about this. And I just encourage people to read Etienne's thoughts about the ongoing protest and the killing of George Floyd and against police brutality. Um, He mentioned after the Trayvon Martin killing in 2012, he really became engaged in the subject because Trayvon Martin was kind of the same profile as him. Um, So just go and check that out. It was actually um, published again in USA Today. So it got some national attention. Um, Hopefully you liked that conversation. I, I enjoyed it. Kyle, what's it like down there downtown, like OHSAA headquarters, right now? Yeah, I'm uh, wait, I'm uh, 
in between assignments right now. But yeah, no, uh, I was down there a couple times in the last couple weeks. And uh, one of the days I was down there was pretty, uh, got pretty intense and a lot of kind of activity. So, you know, it's, uh, I've uh, enjoyed being down there. I've, I've enjoyed watching, um, you know, people, you know, speak their mind and rally together and kind of come together on, on, on a bunch of different causes. You know, I don't, I don't like to see the looting and the, you know, the breaking of stuff, you know, um, but you know, people are coming together, you know, I'm proud of Columbus and I'm proud of the people um, that have, uh, you know, have taken a stand and have, have, have voiced their opinion. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, all of us at the dispatch, uh, all the reporters and photographers and videographers, man, we've been at, we've been out on the front lines. We've uh, been pepper sprayed. We've been shot at by, with rubber bullets. We've uh, had close encounters. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been really interesting the last couple of weeks, but I've, uh, I've, Proud of uh, the work of uh, everyone at the dispatch, and uh, also uh, proud of uh, for Columbus for uh, um, you know for for taking a stand on on, on things that they um, that they feel that they have a right to do. Yeah, Columbus has been tamped down for a long time, and it's almost like these days uh, during this moment in time uh, with this issue that uh, uh, it's it's almost like the Rotary Club isn't running the city anymore. Hmm. Uh, that there are real people out there. So so good nothing against uh, rotarians uh, uh but uh, other voices being heard that's good that's all we got for jacob you got anything else kyle well i thought i'd, I'd add i forgot to mention i asked tim bezpachenko specifically about had the past weeks the events have kind of forced him to reevaluate uh the diversity in the club and how they represent you know an ethnically diverse player pool and he said absolutely this is a quote from him as an extension of the community and playing a part in the global game of soccer, we are about diversity and inclusion. That's what the Columbus crew needs to be synonymous for. Clearly there is still racism in our society and we can't ignore the conversations though. They are uncomfortable. In fact, that makes it more important to have them. And he also mentioned that they're evaluating some steps to take like hiring practices, reevaluating those. He mentioned maybe a task force inside the office. Um, So just wanted to throw that in there. All right. Well, that's about it for our speakeasy for this week, uh, Thursday, the 11th of June, 2020 for Kyle Robertson and our Google meet here on the left. And, uh, Jacob Myers on my right. I'm Mike A-Race. Thanks for joining us. And Patrick Clarity, kick us out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.